Phil's, uh, Phil has created, if you don't have it yet, you need to buy it because it is the book for this class. This guy right here is incredible. Um, if you've gotten into the homework, if you've done it, kudos for you. Good job. You get credit for today. But um, if, I mean, this book's going to bless you. That's my point. So make sure that you get this because you do need that for this class. And um, also, before we get started here, we've got this guy that's going around. If you haven't received this yet, make sure that you get a copy. I've got a couple of extras. I can make more. And there's probably a couple that have gotten stuck at the end of aisles. So you can grab that. If you're here tonight, too, and you haven't actually signed up for this class, maybe you've just, you're just checking it out. Maybe you just heard about it. Um, and, and you want to see what is Discipleship 101, what are we doing here. And you need this, maybe. This is the syllabus. You can also grab that from me. Um, but you can also sign up for the class tonight online if, you, if you're here and you haven't done that yet. Let me also just reiterate that we do do a check-in online and that you also mark whether or not you do your homework. If you don't check in, then you don't receive credit for being here. So make sure that you check in at the break at one of the computers out there. So what we're doing, I'm really excited about this. Phil kind of mentioned it on Sunday during his sermon, but he talked about having community groups. We're going to be starting that up in a couple weeks, and you'll be hearing more about that. So what we're doing is at the beginning of this class, we're taking the first 15 to talk about community. What I mean by that is like the first 15 minutes or, or so, okay? And so I get to talk to you guys about community, which I'm really excited about, and each week's going to be a little bit different. But tonight what we're going to talk about is the idea of the Godhead and the community within the Trinity. Because this is really where this idea of community comes from. We see community happening in Scripture within the first few verses of the Bible. In fact, it's, it's Genesis 1.26 where God says, let us. And he's talking about himself as a triune God, as a communal God. Let us do something. And it's let us create man in our image. So we are created in this this image of this communal God. I'll get more into that in a second. I want to also talk to you a little bit about the classical liberalism and postmodernism because these two movements have offered us some benefits, but they've also done a lot of danger. They've created a lot of harm to the church, specifically in the area of community because what these two movements have taught us is that it's all about the individual. It's really isolated the individual. It's made the individual very individualistic. In our culture, um, we can see that in our culture. Some of you come from cultures, um, from countries where there's a high group um, orientation. Here, of course, though, where we have a very low view of the group um, in general. And, and it's interesting that the church exists in a community like that. Because here we've got this group that is very much high group function uh, orientation. And, and yet we're, we're kind of combating against the forces of society that tell tell us it's all about the individual. And we tend to want to seclude ourselves um, because that's what society and culture tells us to do. But what's interesting is that science, more and more, the studies that are occurring on community, more and more they're proving we're not actually created to be in isolation. We're created for community. Now, the church has been saying that for, well, really since the existence of, of who we are. We've known that. And the reason why we know that, again, is because of Genesis 1.26. We know that because God is this communal God. He is this triune communal God. See, God has fully, uh, has, has eternally existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's existed in this way for all eternity. There wasn't a time when the Son was not. There wasn't a time when the Spirit was not. There wasn't a time when the Father was not. 
these three, these three persons have eternally existed as one being, God. And we see that the Trinity has eternally existed in community with one another. That's hard for us to even wrap our minds around because when we think back to, well, when did God really start? We can't, we can't do that. It's just this, this never-ending line circle thing because it's for all eternity. And now when we're created, we're created to be inhabited by another person. If we're in this room, most likely we know that that's God. We know that we are in, intended to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And if we're in this room, most likely the Holy Spirit is, is living within us. And so literally when we come into relationship with Jesus, then we enter into community with God. Now we have been accepted into this community, this triune Godhead community that's been eternally existing, and now we are a part of that as well. And when you think about that, when you think about the reality of that, that now we have been invited into a relationship with a triune God, that we are now part of a community with God himself, it only makes sense then that if there's a bunch of people in this room who are in the exact same state as us, that we would actually call ourselves the family of God. And that we would acknowledge the fact that if each of us as individuals is living in a communal relationship with God, the triune God of all eternity, it would only make sense then that we too enter into relationship with one another. And so when we talk, when we talk about community, we have to kind of identify what, what, or define what is it that we're talking about. And, and really, at Influence Church, what we believe community is, is it's, it's this. It's the family of God. It's the, the gathering of God's people together. And we don't, want, um, we, we don't want you guys to be isolated. What, what's great about School of Ministry, what we've noticed over the few classes that we've done, is that there's naturally just these, these groups that are forming. It's so hard to get you guys to come back in after we send you out on a break because you love each other so much, and that's awesome. Um, don't stop that, but come in when we tell you to because that helps us a lot. <laughs> but take what's going on in the lobby and find the, find the people, the, the people maybe that are in the same life stages, you find those people because we want you to start building community with them. And we are so excited, Influence Church, to get to do that. Um, and you guys at School of Ministry, you, you're really, you guys are the, the leaders of this. You guys are going to be the ones, we believe, that are going to lead the charge in our church for community. And so we want to empower you guys to be relational with one another, and to, to remember that we are walking out, that we are living relationally with the triune God of the universe. He's called us into this relationship with himself. He's called us into community. Now we get to live out that community with one another, and that is such a gift, such an honor, such a blessing, and we are excited to do that with you. So let's pray before Pastor Phil comes up and um, just ask God's blessing on our time together. Lord, we thank you for worship, for our voices, for for these words that have been composed that allow us to, to some degree, express our heart and our gratitude towards you. Um, we thank you for, for just the things that we've sung, the things that we've proclaimed of ourselves, even the things that we've prophesied in that sense, that you are breaking chains. And we get to stand and declare that together, that you are breaking chains. And, and God, I believe that this class, and I believe that what we're doing with community groups, that all of those things are going to do just that, that there are chains that are being broken in people's lives and families, um, that you're going to be breaking the chains even of individualism, the, the tendency to isolate ourselves, because you're going to be loving us through the community of, of this church. And so thank you, God, for that. And Holy Spirit, we, we want to do this tonight with you. And so we just present ourselves to you and say, Jesus, would you lead this time? We acknowledge as a group, as a family, as a community, 
that we're here and we are your disciples, each one of us. We are your disciples. And tonight what we're doing is we're learning from other disciples what it means to be disciples. And so, um, so Jesus, you are our rabbi, you are our leader, and uh, we want to acknowledge that. And so we, we literally cannot do this without you because um, the blind can't follow the blind and the blind can't lead the blind. And so Lord, would you lead us, give us sight, Spirit, speak to us, illuminate your scriptures to us. Let us see who you are. We love you, Lord. We pray your blessing over tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Thank you, Nathan. All right, how's everybody? Good. good? Doing good? Good to see you. Um, think about this. Every single one of you is a direct descendant, spiritually, of Jesus or one of the apostles. And hopefully not Judas. <laughs> now think about that thought, though. Think about how powerful that is that someone told someone who told someone who eventually told you. It didn't start with 5,000. It started with Jesus, who started a movement. And the movement was fairly small at the beginning, right? 12. He purposely did not start with more than 12. He had 12 figured out. He had that was a plan. And the plan was, even from the beginning, the, the knowledge of God was that something's going to go awry with one of them. And he was going to have 11. And out of those 11 were going to come those who truly knew God and truly walked with God. Now, imagine this. Imagine if we had, we selected out of here 12 people. We said, we want to start a movement. We want to we absolutely infect the entire world with the movement. And we're going to give you about 2,000 years to do it. One of the things you'd look at me and you'd go, well, that's crazy. How can 12 of us do anything? But that was the plan of God. The reason was because in discipleship, you reproduce who you are, what you are, what you believe. And in that process, if I'm reproducing myself, then what's going to happen is there's going to, have a, there's going to be a cumulative effect, right? We're going to begin to see more and more people come to an understanding of Christ. So it's a principle of Scripture, all right? You ready for this? Principle of Scripture, say it with me. You don't have to say say it with me, Dan. That's a Canadian thing, just, all right? All right, Here, here's the principle. Everything re reproduces after its own kind. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Wheat, wheat, corn, corn, got it? Dogs, dogs, cats, cats. Everything does that. Let me ask you this. If you were to pour your life into a brand new believer, what kind of Christian would you produce? Now, you might say, hey, in some areas it'd be really strong. In other areas it wouldn't be so strong, right? Let's just all be honest. There'd be some really good come out of it because obviously you're here, you're dedicated to this, that's a good thing. You're dedicated to the Lord, you've come to faith in Christ, you've got some understanding where every one of us in here has some understanding of what does it mean to walk with Jesus. But do you want to reproduce your kind of Christianity generations to come? Or would you like it to go to another level? I think all of us would say, I'd like it to go to another level. 
I'd like to be more committed to Christ. I'd like to be more fired up for God. I'd like to have a better comprehension of the Word of God. I'd like to, to know what it means to move more powerfully in the Spirit of God. I'd like to see God do more mighty things in me and through me than he's done in the past. Amen. That's all we really have to be. That's the place we have to be in. I want to see God do more than he's doing right now in my life. So let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at really the key verse. I want everyone here to memorize this verse, and I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I know some of you use different translations. I'm going to ask you all to memorize this verse in the same translation, and that is the New King James Bible. Now, if you don't have one, uh, you should get one. If you don't have one, you can go online and you can print it. You can find it very easily. The reason I want you to memorize it in the same translation is because we're going to give you opportunity to share with one another 2 Timothy chapter 2. Not the whole chapter. Just relax. Okay? You're going, oh, no, I can't do that. It's actually chapter 2 and verse 2. So it's 2, 2, 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Got it? Let me read it to you. And the things that you, who's the you in the scripture? It's the name of the book. I'll give you a hint. Okay, so the thing that you have learned or heard from who? Me? Who's me? Paul. Okay, so now watch this. Paul is writing to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple. Got it? Paul is saying, Timothy, the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, we'd add women, okay, it's, it's in the mankind sense of the word, who will be able to teach others also. So, very simple, here's what discipleship is. It's someone who's faithful to the, to the things of God, teaching someone else who is already faithful to the things of God. Discipleship is not a process to try to get the guy who's really not convinced to, to be convinced. That's not what it's all about. It's the idea of someone says, I have a heart for God, and I would really like to be discipled. I'd like to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to commit myself to that. That doesn't mean they're perfect. doesn't mean they all got it all together. A lot of times what we do is we try to take discipleship and say, well, if I could just get this guy straightened out, you know, I think he'd be a pretty good disciple. If they don't show some level of faithfulness before you begin, they chances are about 99% chance they will not show it through the process. Because what happens is in this process, there's 10 lessons in this study. What happens in this process, most of the ones who are not really faithful and that committed, they will give up about lesson four or five. They'll go, too much. I'm not, I'm not that committed. Don't really want to go on that long. Imagine this. Um, I've taken this and, and used this over the years and basically done it one-on-one. -on -one. So I meet with a man, I meet with him, and we, we go through. The idea is he studies the first lesson. When he shows up, uh, we go through the first lesson, and then I introduce him to lesson two. He goes out and does the homework. Let's suppose we get down to lesson three. He goes up, he does the homework, he shows back up, and I go, hey, how'd it go this week? He said, no, I was really busy. And I didn't get it done. Now, we make a tragic mistake when we say to them at that point, well, let's just go through it together. Because now what kind of disciple am I reproducing? A lazy disciple 
who didn't take serious and didn't honor my time and didn't honor the, 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 the material that we have in front of him. So what does he do if that's the model he has when he gets ready to disciple someone? He doesn't care if they do any of the lessons. Right? Why would I do them? And so what we want to do is we want to reproduce the kind of people. So literally I've had this happen. It's only 10 lessons. You'd think it'd take 10 weeks, right, if you were doing it every week? I've had some that have taken up to a year. A year to cover 10 lessons. You know why? Because of that very thing. Because we get stuck. They don't know where to go with it. they got to navigate through it. Now, I, if I had 100 of them that took a year, it would kill me. But, but I've had a few. Most of them, to get through 10 lessons, it takes about about almost twice that amount of time because there's going to be some times where they can't meet. There's going to be a time when they're sick. There's going to be a time when they goofed off and didn't get the lesson done. So here's what happens. They show up. Hey, how'd, you, how'd your lesson go? Oh, I didn't get it done. I said, okay, well, listen, let's just go ahead and pray. You go get it done and call me when you've got it done. Right? If you don't do that, you reproduce the wrong kind of person in discipleship. Look what Paul says. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to losers. <laughs> what does it say? These entrust to what? Faithful. 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 So now that you know Christ and maybe you've gone out and you've begun to share your faith, the best person for you to disciple is someone that you have led to faith in Christ. Because you see, the motive is we want to. We are the, the the whole thing is we want to see people come into the kingdom of God. Once they come into the kingdom of God, we want them to grow in Christ's likeness, right? And we want them to be able to reproduce themselves in the life of another person. So, if you've led someone to Christ, that's going to be your number one target to say, "Why don't we spend some time go through discipleship together?" Okay, number two is you run into somebody and you say, hey, uh, what do you know about the Bible and stuff like that? And they go, I don't know very much. There is your target. That's your target. I don't know very much. I like to put, put discipleship this way. Discipleship is finding someone who knows less than you and teach them what you know. You don't want to find somebody who's like the expert, right? And the whole time you're trying to disciple them, they're telling you all about it and go, yeah, well, I, you know, I, no, 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 you don't need that. You, if, that, if you've got that kind of person, they need to go out and be discipling somebody. So the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to do what? Teach others also. So let's say that I disciple uh, someone, and it takes me three months to disciple that person. At the end of that three months, what do we both do now? We both go out, and what do we do? We try to disciple someone, right? So now how many, how many is our team? Right? we got four, right? Because we've gone from two. We've got two people. Now we've got four. At the end of those three months, how many do we have? Huh? Eight? Just eight? Okay. Okay, now after eight, what, what happens next? You see what? Now, now, if we could ideally work this system that way, how many would we have at the end of the year? The answer is a lot. Right? The answer is a lot. We'd have a lot of people who are really sold out, committed to what we're talking about here in the kingdom of God. So what we want to do in this first, um, first half of the meeting, and I apologize that we have, uh, the, we've gone back to the old plastic chairs, but it's only for one week because we have the big event coming up this, uh, this Saturday and we needed every chair. A couple of you have got those good ones. Good for you. Um, 
But here's what we want to do. We're going to spend this first half talking about the philosophy of discipleship, how we do it, why we do it. We're also going to, to direct your attention to the, uh, the little diagram. So if you'll take that out, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this and relating it to Scripture, relating it to people. Here's what I found in discipleship. A lot of people know a lot of the stuff we're going to teach, but most people don't know all that we're going to teach. A lot of people have been discipled in a few areas, but they haven't been discipled in all 10 of these areas we're going to talk about tonight and, and throughout this study. So, for example, if you, if you look at your book and you look at that outline there, you say, well, you know, I know, uh, I, know, I know I'm saved. I know a little bit about that. But if I said to you, if someone said, well, you know, you can lose your salvation. The Bible really doesn't teach that, you know, that you're saved always. Do you know how to defend that position? Do you know how to show them in the Word of God and help them to understand why there is security in the life of a believer? How about baptism and communion, Lord's Supper? You say, well, I, I, I got baptized, and, and I don't really know why, but I, it was really cool because there was 100 of us at Easter, and we went in the water and came up out of the water, and I just wanted to follow the Lord. Well, can you explain that to someone, why that works that way? why it's necessary to be baptized by immersion versus, you know, just hose them off. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to be able, wouldn't it be nice to have that information and be able to say, well, I, let me tell you why. So here's what you can do. When we go through this book, we're going to give you stuff that's not in the book as well. We're going to give you maybe a scripture, going to give you an illustration, we're going to give you something. Write it in your book. You know what this little book can be? It can be like a little theological library for you. And so when someone says, hey, you know, we need somebody to teach a class, you say, you know what, I've got 10 lessons already ready to go. And could I just share those with you? And, and then when you start putting in your own personal illustrations, you know, like let's talk about baptism. So you can say, well, let me tell you about my baptism story, when I got baptized, why I got baptized, what it meant to me. And, you know, and, and maybe you would like, would you like to experience something like that? Have you come to faith in Christ? And what does it mean to you? Now, on the diagram that you have, you pull that diagram out, and at the top of it, write that scripture, which is what? 2 Timothy what? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And we're going to do what with that scripture? All right. In what version? New King James. How many of you use the New King James right now? Let me see. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you got some other version? Okay. All right. Um, there's still hope for you. Um <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so what we want you to do is we're going to get that uniformity going on that New King James. We're going to memorize that scripture. So next week, what we want you to do is work on that, have it ready to deliver to somebody else. Now, let me tell you the easiest way to do this. What you do is you sit down with someone and say, hey, would you mind if I practiced on you? I've got to memorize this scripture. This crazy preacher of mine wants me to memorize Bible verses. Can you imagine? And so, and you just say, well, and you can just look at it as you say, see, it says, um, and, and the things that you have heard from me, let's say that together. They already got it halfway done. Isn't that cool? The th let's say it again. Among many witnesses, I'm going to read it, make sure, because I don't want you saying it the wrong way, because I've memorized it. And I get it wrong. Okay. Commit these to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. 
pretty simple, right? Not too bad. Whenever you memorize scripture, the first thing you'll always forget is the reference. So when you start memorizing, say 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, then you say your scripture that at the end, say 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 again. Because our mind, here's how our mind works. Our mind retains things in the abstract and not in the concrete as well. So that's why you can remember somebody's house, but you can't remember their address. A lot of times when I'm preaching and you want to write a scripture down, what you do is you make the mistake of writing the name of the book down first. So if I say Luke 12, 21, you're busy writing Luke. I'm going to give you a little key. Forget the Luke. You'll remember Luke. Write the reference. Go back, put the name in. It's just the way our mind works. And once you start learning how your mind works, you can take and you can start memorizing things much easier because things just start popping around. That's why I could tell you a crazy story, a crazy story about these basketballs that were made out of salami, and they were flying on an airplane, and they were singing through their noses to the stars. That's the opening paragraph in a book called The Memory Book by Jerry Lucas and Harry Lorraine. He illustrates that that's a list of things that you do that he wanted you to memorize. I memorized it because I had a story out of it. You can memorize anything you want if you know how to work with the abstract. Why did Jesus tell story? He told story because you could remember it. You'll find people all over the world who really don't believe in God, who probably never even read the Bible. They can tell you a prodigal son story. So now watch this. I'm going to show you something because in discipleship, this is a key. So if I have a key word, like let's take the word fear. If I memorize a scripture on fear... What I want to do is I want to, measure, I want to remember three scriptures, for example, or at least two that relate to fear because my mind will immediately take the word fear and it will springboard to the next one. The wicked flee when no one is, is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Hey, that's kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, where are those references? doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter, does it? If you've already memorized them, it doesn't matter. You can always look them up. But when you're talking to somebody, you're discipling someone, and they, they're, they're kind of pouring out their heart, and they're telling you, I don't know what to do with this, and you just say, you know, there's this scripture in it, you know, and it, it says, and you just start to go with that. And then they say, where's that found? And if you don't know, it's not the biggest tragedy of the world. Because what you can say is, well, let's look it up together. Now what are you doing? You're helping him or her with a memory aid of actually interacting with it. By the way, they've, they've already proven, studies have proven that those of you who use an electronic Bible, you've got about, a, you've got about an 80% learning deficiency over someone who uses a paper one. Already, already, because you don't interact with it. There's, there's something about holding it, interacting with it, turning the pages, underlining it, all those things that are connected. I'm not telling you not to use them. I'm just saying that you will never learn the Word of God like somebody who interacts with it. Just, it's just a learning. It's just the way our mind works. Okay? Here's another thing. Because these are key things. Because I'm going to ask you to memorize this diagram. That's why I'm helping you. Okay? Are you ready? We're going to memorize this diagram, and in order to finish this class, you're going to, I'm going to give you a blank when you get to fill it out. Now, some of you are going, I quit. If you were raised in a Jewish home in the first century, the first thing you would do by the time you're age 12 is you would, you would remember the first five, you'd have to memorize the first five books of the Bible. 
the Pentateuch by the time you're 11 years old. Okay? Have you ever watched uh, uh, Jews when they pray and they rock? You ever watch this? You know why they do that? It's a memory aid. It's rhythm. It's all about rhythm. Why do you remember songs? Words of songs. Because it's got a melody. It's got a rhythm to it. It's got a beat to it. Whenever you attach things that are memory aids to it, it helps. So let me tell you, you know, um, I want to just tell you, God, um, God's big plan, his supreme goal for mankind is the establishment of his kingdom in the universe. And what God wants to do is God wanted to show us how the kingdom works. And what he did was he came and we've got this book in the Bible called the Old Testament. And the Old Testament's got all these cool stories. And all those cool stories relate to spiritual truth. And they were all pointing to someone named Jesus. And Jesus came along and, and he took these disciples. He began to teach them about the kingdom. It was all about the kingdom. And as he taught about the kingdom here and now, he also gave them a little glimpse into the future eternal kingdom and what it was going to be like and how we're going to dwell with God. And I just gave you the first part of the outline. God's supreme goal, the establishment of his kingdom in the universe. How did he do it? First phase. Old Testament, types and models. Second phase, Christ the Apostles. Third, the coming eternal kingdom. I've made it into a story. If you try to memorize it the other way, it's going to be, you'll get it done. It'll just take you ten times longer. So all of a sudden, Jesus gets these disciples, and he wants them to understand something about how the kingdom works. So he's got three things he wants to really pour into their life. He wants to pour in this, this idea that you've got to be fruitful, Right? You've got to be fruitful. You've got to multiply, and you've got to fill the earth. Does that sound like something from the Old Testament? Yes. Okay, right next to each one of those words, be next to fruitful, I want you to write the word evangelism. Evangelism. Because when you lead someone to, to faith in Christ, you've produced a new life, right? That's what evangelism is. God told, um, in, the, in, the, in the book of Genesis, he told us, he said, I want you to be fruitful. In other words, it's the only command of God man has been able to really fully do. That is, have sex and have babies. Am I right? Be fruitful. Multiply. Hey, we're doing a good job. We're multiplying. We got, what, almost 7 billion people on planet Earth, if we can count them? Got that many on 91. Okay, so next to the word multiply, you're going to put what word? Discipleship. Discipleship. So... When I, when, I, when I start to multiply, what I'm doing is I'm taking this whole thing over. And when I talk about fill the earth, what's that? That's missions. That's missions. Those are three critical things that we are all about. We have to be about evangelism. We have to be about discipleship. And we have to be about missions. We have to, take the, we have to get people saved. We have to get them living out the Christ-like. And we have to get them take that message everywhere they go, whether it's down at the shopping center, over to the school, or across the oceans. Okay, so this pattern, what you're going to see, and I will show you as we go through this, I can show you hundreds of times in different ways where God has laid this pattern out in Old and New Testament, the idea of be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It's an amazing phenomena. So he's telling his disciples all through this whole journey of these, all these gospels that we have, what's he doing? He's saying, listen, you've got to tell somebody about Jesus. You've got to tell them about me. You've got to bring him into the kingdom. You've got to reproduce him. You've got to get more of them, more people like us. And then you've got to go all around the world. And he culminates Matthew uh, chapter 28 with this message. What? Go into all the world. 
and start churches. Is that what he says? What's it say? Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Does that sound like discipleship? And lo, I am with you to the end of the world. So he, there he is. He's closing it out. His last words to his disciples were those words. Okay, now let's go to the five principal objectives to carry out the second phase. Uh, evangelism and church planting. So a person comes to faith in Christ, and what do we tell him to do? We try to get him where? We try to get him in church. Let's get him in church. That's going to be a really key thing. Okay, and so I can get up on Sunday morning and I can say, hey, good news, we got five people saved and we got 500 people here today. Okay, and those 500 people gave X number of dollars. So we got nickels and noses. Big deal. Let me show you what I can't do. Go to the right side of that diagram where it says Christ likeness and glorifying God. I can't get up on Sunday morning and go, hey, got good news. We got 100 people that were Christ-like today. Got 20 people that glorified God. You know why churches are not concerned about that? Because they can't measure it. It's quantity. Quantity is what changes the world. I mean, quality is what changes the world, right? Not quantity. You can have a church of 10,000 people that have zero quality. Zero power with God. You see, but you take 12. Jesus showed us that it's not about how many. It's about what kind of power they have. You ever been stung by a bee? One, what did they say? One one thousandth of an inch long? It's all the unction behind it, right? I mean, when they back into you, it's, you can feel it, right? Because there's, there's power there. There's something there. And what we want to say to you is do not ever under, just underestimate the power you have in the Holy Spirit of God. When you focus that attention like a laser, when you focus it like a bee stinging someone, it's going to have an effect. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and he says, Men of Israel, listen. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And what was the response of the crowd? It says they were cut to the heart. They said, What must we do to be saved? And he said, Repent. Right? They were cut to the heart because, see, he focused that. How did Peter get to that place? Because he had some troubles. Have you ever noticed that? And I'm going to show you something about Peter in a minute. Okay, so evangelism, church planting. What's in the middle between church planting and Christ-likeness? Okay, right next to that little word discipleship, just write bridge. Bridge. Because it's the transition. It's where we take people from just kind of showing up at church to where they come to a place where they're Christ-like, where they're glorifying God where something's changed in their life. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of sidestep the seven stages of biblical discipleship. I'm going to flip you over to the four goals, okay? I want to explain the four goals to you, and I want you to, everybody to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. That was an Old Testament coffee shop. Hebrews. Get it? Hebrews. Pretty stupid, huh? All right. Okay. Now we're going to now the the nice thing about this the four goals of biblical discipleship is they all kind of sound alike, they start alike and they're all from the book of Hebrews. 
So you don't have to memorize like 10 different books of the Bible. And I know some of you are going, I just don't think I can do this. Okay, I want you to change your mindset. Second rule for, moti- uh, for uh, memory is to say I can, not say I can't. Okay, so we're going to say this together. I can, I can. Memorize, memorize this diagram, this diagram. Better, than you. better than you. Got it? Okay, here's, here's goal number one. We want to establish the believer in the Word of God. Let's say that together. Establish the believer in the Word of God. What that means is, here's a person who's a new Christian. They don't know how to navigate in the Word of God. What you want to do is help them to understand, basically, not everything in the Bible, because you don't understand everything in the Bible, neither do I. What you want them to do is understand how they can use their Bible and, and survive, That might mean something as simple as, you know, you really need to get some tabs on that Bible so you can find those books. You show them the table of contents. You show them in the back. There's like a little concordance, key words. And you show them some key verses. You show them how to mark their Bible because you want to establish them in the Word of God. If all you do is get them reading it and getting them excited about it, you've done a lot. Hey, let's just read the Gospel of John together through this process of discipleship. And they start to read it, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God takes hold of their heart, and, and, the, and the Word of God becomes alive in them. Okay? So establish the believer in the Word of God. Number two, establish the believer in fellowship with other believers. That's what uh, Nathan just talked about a minute ago, right? That we need to be, we belong together, even when we don't like each other. Right? Even though when we get mad at each other, we belong together. We belong in community. We belong in fellowship. Here's what happens. Somebody comes to our church, they come to faith in Christ, right? Hey, we're all excited. I just led this guy to Christ. Great, great. What's he do- what are you doing with him now? Well, I told him to come to church. So he wanders into church, and he looks around, and he, he doesn't know anybody. He kind of was looking for you because you invited him, and, but you can't find him, and he sits in the back, and, and, and after you know a while, you know, he gets up and he leaves, and he goes home. And he's got all his buddies at home who have let's say, non-Christian fellowship with him. And they say, hey, you want to go out tonight? We're going to do this. Yeah, I'll go do that. And, and he says, you know, and, and the friendship factor, the fellowship factor is missing, and so church doesn't seem real important to him. He doesn't know what to do, right? So here's what you do. When you know, meet somebody, you say, why don't we sit together? This is where I normally sit in case we meet each other. Can I have your phone number? And here's my phone number. And then on Saturday night, what do you do? You call them or you text them. You say, I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. We're going, to, we're going to get together. Why don't you show up in the coffee shop? I'll buy you coffee. We'll sit together. And then maybe afterwards, you know, we can go to lunch or whatever. And then if he misses, what do you do? Call him. Hey, where you been? What's going on, man? Oh, I got the flu. Really? Okay. You can only get that once a year. So that won't work anymore from now on. Right? I got to work on Sunday. How many times do you have to do that normally? How many times you work in the last year? What you're doing is you have you have to realize a new believer is like a little bitty baby who's going to go in their own direction if you don't help them. That's what discipleship is. You got to stay close to people. You know, you got to stay close to them because it doesn't take long to get off the reservation at all. Okay. So number two, establish the believer in the what? That's a pretty weak response. Establish the believer in the what? Fellowship. Fellowship. We want him in fellowship with other believers. Number three, establish the believer in the structure of the local church. 
establish the believer in the structure of the local church. Why is that important? Somebody want to shout it out? What do you think? Yeah, well, okay, we got the connected part, but what's structure all about now? Where they fit in, yeah. What else? Huh? What's that? Get involved. Okay, good. Close to home. It's also protection, isn't it? It's a covering. Have you ever met somebody who said, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church? Jesus died to establish the church. It's his body. See many heads walking around without a body? Huh? You need, a, you need new territory, girl. If, if that's the world you're traveling, you need new friends. All right? I didn't say people without a brain. I said, I said people without a body. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Imagine this. If Christ is the head, who's the body? The church. Christ without the body is a head floating around. Now let's, now let's take the body. Every one of you is a member of the body. If you ever laid in bed and you just don't want to get up? You ever laid in bed and most of you wanted to get up? Some of you just didn't, some part of you didn't want to get up. My, my, you know, my leg's tired. And, and, you know, your head says, you know, just go without them. <laughs> just leave him. You know, that leg is no good anyway. You got another one. You know, and all day long, you're hopping, you're jumping. You got one leg, you're, you're like the pogo stick. You're like the human pogo stick. You're going down the road. What's going on? I mean, my leg was tired. He just stayed home today. Arm. Arm is not the Ear. Do you realize that you are so critical in the whole picture of this that that illustration il illustrates what happens when you say, they don't need me. I'm not important. Every member is important of the body. And you're a member of the body. You say, well, you know, why do they really need me? Well, why don't you show up and find out? There's encouragement when they see you. You might have opportunity to pray for someone, minister to someone. They may need you to serve. I love this response. Well, you know, I, I did all that serving stuff when I was younger, and, you know, I'm done now. I'm just going to sit. Now, that's spiritual. If you feel like that, do not reveal that to anyone in this class because we've just, we've just, we've just pointed you out. All right? So... The greatest, uh, probably one of the greatest apostles was John the Apostle. He wrote the book of Revelation when he was 90. How's that for retirement? He was so fiery in preaching the word of God at 90 years old that uh, the, the emperor decided to, to put him on the Isle of Patmos to get him out. He didn't want to kill him because it would have caused too much of a martyr thing. So what he does is he puts him on an island. He says, I'm going to get you out there all by yourself where you can't mess with anybody because you're such a fiery man of God. And what does he do? He writes the revelation. There is no biblical basis for retirement. Not in your vocational world and not in your spiritual world. All that is is just pure laziness. I'm sorry. By the way, I love trivia. You know why 65 is the age for retirement? Anybody know? Just throw it out there if you think you know. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you. I, I thought you would never ask. The biblical basis for retirement is not, but 
In the world, we have 65 because in Germany, the Kaiser came up with the idea that there was a pressure to have retirement, a government retirement plan. And so the Kaiser asked the question, well, how old are most people living? And at the time in Germany, it was 65. And they said, great, it'll be 65. That way we won't have to pay out much. And the American government uh, wasn't real creative. And so we said, well, what are we going to do with it? Well, Germany's doing 65. That's not like a good age. It's just trivia. It's not real helpful, not real biblical. But you liked it, didn't you, Jeremy? You like everything. I love you. Okay, now, number four. Goal number four. Ready? Ready? Establish the believer in the what? In the ministry of the word. Okay, if you have a ministry and your ministry is serving, thank God for you. If, you're have, if your ministry is that of, of, um, of fellowship or you know, of, of hospitality, God bless you. But every single person should have a ministry of the Word of God. Where you take the Word of God and you can pour that into somebody else because that's the only thing that's living and active, right? It's the only thing that's going to last forever is the Word of God. Thy Word, O Lord, is hid in the heavens. They are eternal. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. God spoke the world into existence by the Word of His mouth. The Word is powerful. What we're going to give you in this process is we're going to give you a tool. <coughs> Sound like a 16-year-old there. A tool. <laughs> Sorry about that. Voice is changing. Puberty happens. Right? Amen. Okay, now. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to give you a tool to take the Word of God and put it into somebody else's life. So you will have a ministry of the Word. Do you see the difference? One and four sound alike, don't they? A minister, we want to say what? To establish a believer in the what? In the Word of God. We're going to get him in it, and by the end of it, we're going to what? Make him a minister of it. Isn't that cool? And guess what? Every single person in here can disciple someone. Remember, what's the, what's the big kind of uh, uh, statement about discipleship? Find someone who knows what? Less than you. There's got to be somebody dumber than you. Amen? That's what I always said. I've had guys say, I can't disciple. I said, trust me, I will find somebody who knows less than you. And I've had guys say, well, good luck. I was discipling one guy one time. He played for the, uh, uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, and and uh, I was telling him all this stuff, and, and then I said something like this. I said, and you know, the more you know, uh, the more God holds you responsible for it. He says, stop, do not teach me anything else. <laughs> stop right now, I don't want to learn. You know, I don't want to be accountable for any more than I already know. The great thing is there's nothing more exciting than as you start seeing, pouring into the life of someone else and start to see them grow in faith in Christ. And then they, they come to you and they say, hey, I, I led this person to Christ or I got to share this scripture with somebody or, or I got to disciple someone. I mean, it was, and, and you just get excited. I like to say the most exciting part of the hospital is the what? It's the nursery. It's the nursery. It's the nursery. Everybody loves the nursery. All babies look good in the nursery, even if they're ugly. They do. Look at the cute little baby. Oh, look at the little squished up head. Little cone head. Look at him. Oh, how cute he is. I mean, why? if that kid kept a cone head his whole life, he wouldn't be cute. But he's cute in a nursery. Okay? So new life brings out that in us, doesn't it? Now we're going to take, take and start discipling him. You know, we're going to get that cone head round. We're going to get him working in the right direction. We're going to get him sharing his faith. We're going to get him talking about God, pouring into the life of someone else, and reproducing his life. 
You know, periodically I'll get an email from somebody who I discipled years ago, and they'll tell me an amazing story, amazing story about how, you know, and I, I'm looking back and thinking, they weren't that good a disciple. How'd they turn out so good, you know? And, and it, what happened was it was enough to get it going, enough to get it going, and they developed it. And then now some of them are pastors now. You know, some are serving God in great ways because, you know, it took hold in their heart. Okay, let's go over to the seven stages. I want to jump through this. And we're going to, um, by the way, God's supreme goal is what? It's at the top of the page. This is not a hard question, folks. We're going to, we got remedial discipleship going on tonight. When I was in seminary, when I was in seminary uh, and get my master's degree, they, they have to take this, uh, basically I have to take an English test and then you have to write a paper um, to determine if you have enough English skills to actually do the work. It's not that it keeps you out, but what they then they put you in bonehead English. And, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those funny things where you've got to go and you've got to pour it in. Hey, listen, I don't care how little you know. You can grow exponentially if you know how to grow. If it's taken you a long time to get the knowledge you have, we can show you how you can, you can speed up that process so quickly, so quickly. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't take forever. It just takes doing it the right way. And, and I think it's Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Sometimes you just don't know how to do it. How, well, how do I do this? Okay, so let's go to uh, the seven stages. I want you to write next to each one in that little box. I'm going to give you a scripture. To the left of the box in that center column, I'm going to give you one or two words that's going to fill in there. It's going to help you understand this. Seven stages of biblical discipleship. When Jesus got the, the 12 disciples, he took them through some stages that are clearly defined in scripture. I'm going to illustrate it with the apostle Peter. So at the top of that, right above there where it says seven stages, just write in there the apostle Peter. I'm going to illustrate his life for you, okay? Repentance and faith. This is stage one. You can't follow Christ if you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's step one. Would we all agree? Yes. Okay, right next to that, put Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. Did you write the numbers down first? Yes. Some of you did. All right. Chapter 4, 14 through 19 of the book of Matthew. Jesus sees these guys fishing, and he says, hey, guys, why don't you come follow me? Now, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to teach you something. Now, what, what persuades these seasoned fishermen to leave their, their vocation and come follow him? In that scripture, it doesn't give us all those details, but we understand from the life that there was some kind of repenting from their, the way they were looking at life, and now they're turning in this direction, they're following Christ, and they're now becoming vocational fishermen for the kingdom of God. That's step one. Every disciple got recruited on the idea that I'm him. I'm the guy. Come follow me. Come follow me. Following Jesus is a pretty serious thing. It means follow. You're not looking for creative followers. Go out and do their own thing. You know, not looking for people who say, I know the Bible says that, but he's looking for followers. Number two, enlightenment. 
you have to really come to understand who this Jesus is. A lot of people who come to faith in Christ, they're not really, they don't know all the theological details. I mean, Nathan got up here and he talked about the Trinity and communion and us and first, uh, Genesis 126 and all that kind of stuff. They don't know that. But what they do, they have to come to understanding of who this Jesus really is in the depth of it, right? Okay. So, put down here, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. So Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Hey, Peter, who do men say that I am? Oh, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets. Who do you think I am, Peter? He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. That's enlightenment. That's enlightenment. Wow. You're not just a rabbi. You're not just a teacher. You're more than that. Enlightenment. Okay? Number three, participation in ministry. Uh, let's take our Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Is it getting cold in here, by the way? The women are going, no, and the guys are going, I'm freezing to death. I don't know what's going on in this room, but I'm just saying. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. There's a guilty one laughing right now. Okay, now, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Got it? Everybody got it? Say got it if you found it. Amen, all right. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. And the name of the 12 apostles, this is the first time he calls them apostles. The word apostle means one sent with a message. So he's got these disciples, and up to chapter 10, they're kind of disciples. They're following. Guess what? Now what? he's going to get them participating in ministry. And how is he going to get them participating? He says he gave them power over unclean spirits. That's a pretty good, pretty good deal. Cast them out to heal all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. Okay, so you're going to put down in that little box Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and then put 5 and 8. Also, 5 through 8, rather. 5 through 8. So it's Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and 5 through 8. Now let me read 5 through 8 for you. Got it? And the 12, uh, these 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the house of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. These guys are getting to go do it. Hey, I'm going to stay here at home base for a little while. Isn't that what he said? I'm going to stay here at home base for a while. Why don't you guys go out and take a shot at this? You've been watching me do this. You're now apostles. You're sent with a message. The message is there's some people that got demons in them. There's people out there that need to be healed. There's some people out there that need to hear the gospel. So I want you to go out and go do that. Participation in ministry. Now, what we intend to do is we intend to take in, the, in school of ministry is we want to get you from stage one all the way through stage seven in two years. What we're teaching you in discipleship, this kingdom discipleship, is basically going to cover the first three levels. 
We will cover other of these things as you grow, and I'm going to show you how you do that in this process. Okay, so got that in mind? Okay. Number four, development of leadership. Development of leadership. Now, what, what happens is there were how many apostles? Twelve. Twelve. How many was a loser? One. One. And how many were in the inner circle? Three. Three. Now, development of leadership, you go with those who really want to go on. Isn't that a principle of discipleship? So they were Peter, James, and John. So he gets these three guys together, and I don't know how he does it so it, you know, not everybody gets mad at him, but he goes, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up on this mountain, and we're going to see some cool stuff. So go to Matthew chapter 17. You put this in the box, number four, development of leadership. Matthew chapter 17, and let's look at verses 1 through 3. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. You know what this is, this transfiguration is? This is a early, watch this, guys, an early revelation of the coming Jesus in the second coming. He is metamorphosed before their eyes. They're getting an early glimpse of the second coming right here. He's transformed before, uh, before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. How many of you would like to bend on that deal? But see, only three of them got to. Can I give you a principle in, in life? principle in life is if you know 12 people, one will betray you. Three will be your inner circle, and eight will be along. They'll be good friends, but they'll basically belong for the right. If you think that formula doesn't work, think back over your life. Where did Jesus focus his attention? He really focused attention on the three. He didn't neglect the eight, but he knew he was going to go with those who had the biggest heart for the kingdom. And I'm going to show you more because you have a heart for the kingdom than I'm going to show everybody else. Principle is still true. If you got more, if you got a heart for the kingdom, God will show you more. God will show you things that he won't show somebody else. 